Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists. Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. This week's podcast also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, the leader in wetlands conservation going back to 1937. Think about that. That's a lot of history of conserving waterfowl habitat and the uh, ducks and geese that we all are so passionate about. Uh, I'm a proud member, and I also serve on the Dallas DU Committee. Uh, I encourage you to get plugged in with your local Ducks Unlimited chapter uh, and, and join this great group of folks who are passionate about duck hunting and waterfowl conservation. For more info, head over to ducks.org. Well, the thunder in my head might go away And the river pain flow back to sea Well, if you don't come back home, stay Bring a stop in the rain and happiness to me all right, Cable Smith, welcome everybody into episode 665 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So do appreciate each and every one of you. Man, one thing I've noticed this week is the weather is a-changing. Uh, weeds are starting to pop up. In my lawn, which means, well, turkey season will be here before you know it. And I am pumped. Got a couple hunts already on the books. Hopefully you guys are making plans to uh, get after those thunder chickens as well. It's like, uh, it's not my favorite thing to hunt, but it's dang sure up there near the top of the list. Uh, anything you can call in and interact with and, and try to bring into range as opposed to just sitting there and waiting. I really enjoy that kind of hunting. So, uh, yeah, hope it's going to be a banner spring for you guys and gals. And then the sand bass will be running too uh, here very quickly. And the largemouth and crappie uh, won't be far behind them. So, uh, yeah, good times to be had in the great outdoors. Uh, what are we doing today? Well, let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pull yourself an of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one with mud caked on it from... Duck seasons that have since long come and gone because we're ready to rock and roll. And to get things going, we'll be joined by a, a hunter, a lifelong outdoorsman, who recently had a pack of wild dogs decimate his ranch. And they got in to, uh, to the ranch and killed something like $30,000 worth of axis deer. Killed them. Didn't barely ate them. And, uh, and that's why... You know, wild dogs don't belong 
nobody wants to shoot a dog, right? That's, uh, that's not something any hunter wants to do, but we're going to discuss the reality of how bad these things are. Uh, and you know, the unfortunate decision some hunters have to make, um, when it comes to wild dogs on their property, uh, it just sucks. And it's, and it's in some cases, it's not the dog's fault. Um, negligent owners really are to blame, but, uh, other scenarios, the dogs truly are feral and very dangerous. So we'll discuss that with, uh, well, he wants to remain anonymous, so we'll just call him the H-Man. But uh, he'll be here to talk about his family's recent uh, disaster momentarily. Uh, and then we will spend a significant amount of time with Trevor Thompson, Navy SEAL, Alaskan hunting guide, uh, skydiver, adventurer, longbow hunter, you name it. Uh, super interesting guy and uh, certainly looking forward to having Trevor jump on the show here at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee at that. Uh, let's knock out a quick giveaway. How about a Black Rifle Coffee swag pack? I've got a Black Rifle cap, a Black Rifle coffee or dye t-shirt, and then we'll send three bags of the uh, Silencer Smooth roast as well. Uh, all you need to do, email how about just Second Amendment? That's Second Amendment to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's Black Rifle giveaway. Let's knock out a quick break. Coming up next, wild dogs and what to do with them. It's a taboo topic that nobody wants to talk about, but we will next on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Now I ain't the toughest hickory that your axe has ever felt. But I'm a hickory just as well I'm a hickory all the same Time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep, sleep, and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback, and the cool thing is they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Empty beer bottles Rattle on my pistol On the seat of my Chevy pickup truck And I'm taking these gravel roads As fast as my truck go I'm running like a scared white tail bug One of my all-time favorites there Becky's Bible Chris Knight bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We've got uh, an unfortunate topic to get into because nobody loves hunting dogs more than me. I'll, I'll hell, I'll travel to Colorado uh, or New Mexico just to hunt behind a good pack of hounds. I'll go to Kansas and hunt pheasant with a good pointer. I'll take my lab everywhere I go. I respect the way a tiny Jack Russell or a blue lacy can work a blood trail. 
putt when domestic or wild dogs go hunting on property that isn't theirs, they shouldn't be on, then that's a conversation for another day. And so uh, we've got a guy joining us here from the Southeast Texas area who recently experienced just how destructive those dogs and those situations can be. And we're going to protect his anonymity. It's a crazy world out there, but he did send me the photos and you can see the destruction and the dogs uh, on my uh, social media accounts and website. So if you do need a visual aid, which I recommend in this case, uh, you can find them there. Uh, so this segment brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee and the good folks over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. But uh, without further delay, let's bring him on right now. And uh, just to keep him anonymous, we'll refer to him as the H-Man. Thanks for being here. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, I posted, um, I think it was last week, something about wild dogs and how they're, in a lot of cases, I think worse than, than coyotes, uh, just because a lot, well, to be frank, a lot of times they're bigger than a coyote, mm -hmm. uh, which means they can take down bigger prey. And they're also, a lot of them inherently unafraid of humans, you know, through hundreds of years of breeding we've we've bred that out of most domesticated dogs so um you'd sent me some photos of your family ranch and we'll just say it somewhere in east texas because uh, and that's the thing you don't you don't you know kind of want to remain anonymous just because there are so many crazy people out there um there is yeah but yeah. you sent me this photo uh and but but, but before we talk about that though just a, a little bit about your background you're a lifelong hunter Lifelong hunter, uh, dad was, you know, grandfather was, we're, we're seventh generation Texans. Um, so as, as long as I, you know, can count back in my family, uh, we come from a you know family of hunters. Um, yeah. it's just kind of a tradition, even, you know, the women in our family as well. So, uh, yeah, man, that's, uh, it's been a big part of our relationship bonding, um, uh, bringing the family together even if we're hunting or not hunting, you know, just getting out to the camp yeah, and getting yeah. the kids out there, you know? So, uh -huh. but uh -huh. yeah, yeah, no lifelong hunter. And, uh, and so y'all have a place, a high fence place somewhere in East Texas. How big would you say the property is? Uh, it's close to 200 acres. So okay. it's, you know, it's a good sized piece of property, you know, but compared to the other ranches, uh, you know, it's on the smaller side. Mm -hmm. um, when did you guys put, uh, access deer in there? I want to say we've had them in there for 12 years, 10, okay. 12 to 15 years they've been in there. And throughout the years, we've introduced new genetics. Um, we've brought them in. You know, numbers have gotten low at times, uh, you know, sicknesses and, and whatnot. Um, so, you know, just to maintain the, the healthy population, uh, we do management or, you know, we'll bring some, some new ones in every now and then. But uh, they've been out there for, for 12 years and they are the best tasting in my opinion, uh, I mean, you know, I got buddies that, you know, they won't even eat business anymore. <laughs> it's just all, it's all access meat. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys don't, you don't sell hunts. You just have them for the family to enjoy. Correct. Yeah. Uh -huh. It's unfortunate. I, I, when I was a kid, I remember I grew up in Dallas and we had, uh, like two acres. And so we had chickens and these mm -hmm. two pit bulls without collars got in there and killed every chicken that we had, and, you know, my brother and I, we were probably like, 
I don't know, 10, 11. We yeah. each grabbed a baseball bat and went down there and like scared them off. But yeah, it was, uh, that was like the first time I ever had a run in with, um, unrestrained and very aggressive uh, dogs. Um, sure. And so, you know, you, in your experience though, somehow these dogs got into the ranch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, uh, I want to say five years ago, four or five years ago, we put down predator wire. So we had, we've always, you know, we've always had an issue with coyotes getting in there, uh, bobcats, different predators get in there and, uh, you know, they might pick off one or two. Yeah. Well, that's just um, part of the game. That's it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. And so we invested and bought predator wire and which is a, you know, can be 18 to 24 inches wide. You put it at the base of your high fence and it helps, you know, prevent, dogs or anything from from digging coyotes digging and, and you know kind of going on an event um and we put that down about five years ago and since then our numbers we didn't realize how many fawns we were losing each year mm-hmm. like a lot i mean we went we've doubled our fawn drop um since we put this predator wire down we i think we've only had in the last five years one or two coyotes get in there since then huh. <clears throat> so things got a lot better for us um and yeah, basically they, uh, you know, they, they got in, uh, they broke, they broke through it. Uh, they were able to, and that's not, they were just so strong. They actually were able to, the clips that had the predator wire clip to the fence was pulled. Like they ripped that back. We're able to get in there. Um, you know, and I <clears throat> mentioned the place is, you know, not even 200 acres. So it's, it's not a giant piece and it's kind of just a big rectangle. So they were able to get in there and just run these year, you know, run them. They were in there for about four days is, mm. is what we're, mm. what we're coming up with. Yeah. Yeah. And you sent me a picture of, I don't, I don't remember how many animals it was, but it was uh, a lot of, I mean, bucks. Um, I don't know the financial impact of that, but you're looking at like, I think over 20 something thousand dollars in losses there. We actually, I had some family up there yesterday, um, and they found another one. So that it brings it up to ten. Uh, we found ten so far. Uh, majority of them are bucks, and yeah, the twenty. I think you know we're closer to thirty thousand now. Um, so it's like you know we get it if we lose one or two, but just mm-hmm. this is it, just chaos. And you know that they weren't really eating; it was just killing just to kill. Yeah. Um, so. It, uh, it was not the best scene uh, when we got out there. Well, yeah, people, uh, you know, there's this misconception. A lot of th- people believe that even like a wolf will only kill what it's going to eat. And that's completely untrue. They will kill whatever's in front of them. And if they're full, they, they you know, they might just kill for sport, which because you, yeah. you know, entire uh, elk herds that get pushed into a little drainage where they can't get out. Wolf pack will just wipe them out. They're not eating them all. They'll kill them all. Exactly. Every single one of them you brought up wolves and yeah, I mean, it's pretty close to that. I mean, we would have, it would rather coyotes got in there. Oh, you know, sure. coyotes oh. might, we lost 10, um, 10 animals at least so far as what we found, but coyotes might've got four, if five, that. I, 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 you know, if that, I, I don't yeah. know, they maybe, but you know, this was just, I mean, these are full size dogs, um, all males, you know, none of them were fixed. Uh, so it was, what kind uh, of dogs, were, what kind of dogs were they? I couldn't tell you. Uh, I I didn't research that far into what kind of dogs they were. Uh, mm-hmm. they, like maybe a black black mouth cur dog, 
um, is what I, I've heard that somebody called them. Um, but I'm sure, I mean, if you're posting the picture, I'm sure somebody's going to be able to call it out uh, right away. So, you know, yeah. as type of dogs they are, I mean, I have seen these dogs used for hog hunting. Um, and I, I've talked to somebody who said, no, those aren't, those aren't necessarily the hog dogs we use over here, but they might use them over there. So they can be used for hog hunting. Um, but they were definitely bred in a very violent, um, you know, in a very violent you know, scene, uh, you know, place that they come from. So it was, uh, you know, no mercy, basically. <laughs> so are the, the neighboring properties just bigger ranches or were these dogs have just been running free? Like, do you think they were completely wild or do you think they got off of a neighbor's place? Uh, so we basically were able to track, you know, which side of the ranch they came from. We, we tracked the their trail as far as we could and it, it went into a neighbor's neighbor's property and i think they're they're a lot you know less than a thousand acres over a hundred thousand i mean a hundred one thousand acres they're a little less than a thousand acres over there and i spoke to them nice folks you know but of course they they don't run dogs and they haven't seen dogs even though their place has tons of pigs on it mm-hmm. and uh, so that's where we got the direction that the dogs came and so, I, you know, I was feeding all this information. Now, I guess we could back up here. We did have the, the sheriff's office come out. Um, they took a report. They took photos of the dogs. They took photos of all the animals. Um, the dogs are dead, by the was, way, if anyone was wondering. The dogs are dead. Yes, the dogs are dead at this point, yes. Uh, yeah. And they came out, did the report. Um, and that was about it. Um, you know, game warden said this was a civil issue. And then I need to go to the sheriff's office on this. You know, I, I I consider my access livestock, and I don't know where the what the exact definition is. Um, no, they're considered you know, but, livestock in Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we harvest them for food, and you know, all those things we raise them. Um, and so, where where's the line for a game warden as far as livestock? You know, it it, it, it was just I never got a straight answer. Mm-hmm. Um, what if and, they were sheep? There's she, yeah. What if these were cows? Which, yeah. you know, luckily we didn't have the cattle. We have the cattle in there now, but we didn't have them in there two weeks ago. You know, I'm interested to see what these dogs would have done to cattle if they would have got in there. Um, I'm not interested to see that, but right, <laughs> but, right you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, or if they didn't get into our place, what if, you know, my dad was out there or, you know, my kids, they, these dogs, I mean, they would have killed them. Mm-hmm. I mean, no doubt. Yeah. Um, when we did go out there, the dogs did approach and try to attack, uh, yeah. oh, it, they did, uh, they did. And you're like, I got a solution for you, buddy. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so as far, you know, as far as the sheriff's office of game warren goes, it was just, it was a dead end for us. You know, I followed up with them a couple of times, but they, you know, well, we made some calls and that was it. You know, and it, I'm like, look, I can go. I'm not going to go to neighboring properties and start knocking on doors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to get shot or, you know, hey, are these your dogs? But I was I was expecting a little bit more help from them. Um, you got so you got no help. Um, when I had this archery only place in Collin County and then the neighbor's dogs and by neighbors, I mean, like three quarters of a mile down a country road. They just didn't keep, and they weren't mean. They were just labs. Like, you know, I, was, I ended up going over there and talking to the people and I, you know, I pet the dogs, but I was like, Hey, I need you to keep these dogs off of here. I'm paying a lot of money to deer hunt. 
you know, they'd be gone for like a week and then they'd show back up and they just really had no interest and just thought their dog should just have free run of whatever. And I'd have a picture of this 175 inch buck I'm chasing on a trail <laughs> camera. And then a minute later, there's three labs standing there sniffing where he was standing. Like they didn't, uh, run out, you know, yeah. Uh, but the game warden told me that it was, unless I actively saw the dogs with my own eyes running wildlife off that it uh, was a civil deal. And so, yeah, he referred me to a county trapper that was like, well, I'll bring a trap out there and you can trap them. I'm like, I don't want to trap these people's dogs. Like, I mean, yeah, they ended up, uh, right. they ended up just getting like the third time it happened. They wrote them a ticket for, cause I had the pictures of the dogs, you know, and they just wrote them a ticket, a citation for not keeping their animals restrained. And, uh, and yeah. after that, it, it, you know, I think they got the message, but uh, it's just some people just aren't yeah. respectful. No. Yeah, and, and I mean, there is the leash law um, in Texas. And now I don't know, you know, as far as the extent of that outside of county, you know, cities and, and all of that, you know, it, I know they need to leash stay on your property, um, yeah. keeping dogs yeah. on your property. But I mean, if you got to pack you know, dogs like this, I have friends that do the hawk hunting, run dogs, and I feel they're responsible. You know, they, their dogs listen, they're able to call their dogs back. Um, their dogs don't try to attack them. Uh, so it, it's hard to say exactly, you know, if this is someone's pack of dogs or if this was, in fact, just a pack of wild dogs. And speaking to the sheriff's office throughout this whole thing, he said that this is a common thing in our county, wild dogs. Um, there's other ranches, you know, that in the surrounding area that, that lost some cattle and different livestock to wild dogs. Um, so it's definitely a problem, and I feel like this is becoming more of a common topic, um, you know, even in the, the suburban areas and in neighborhoods. Uh, I've seen a few videos of kids just playing in the front yard, and a dog just comes up and tries mm -hmm. to attack them. Uh, so it's definitely becoming more of a, a common thing, in my opinion, at least. Well, when I was in second grade, I was walking down the street with my buddy, in my neighborhood and we were going to another friend's house and his neighbor's uh, lab German shepherd mix got out of the, somehow got out and attacked me and I had to get stitches in like four places in my ass and my hand and leg. And um, yeah, I was probably afraid of big dogs until probably until like high school. I really just didn't yeah. want to be like, unless it was like a friend's and I had a lot of interaction with that dog. Like I was very um, wary yeah and apprehensive around being being around them and then in college yeah. my buddy had a doberman and my other roommate had a rottweiler and i had a hundred pound lab so i kind of got over it mm -hmm. um but yeah dude i mean that 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 dog that attacked me went to uh my parents said it went to live on a farm somewhere oh they did <laughs> I, okay yeah what really <laughs> happened to it yeah it was yeah it got uh -huh. killed they euthanized it i'm sure yeah um, sure. but uh Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and get into the moment where you actually pull the trigger on something that looks like man's best friend, but is also trying to rip your face off. That segment of the presentation was brought to you by walkers. You know, God only gives us two ears, so you need to protect your hearing. I personally wish I would have done a better job uh, when I was shooting as a younger man because I'm starting to notice that I'm paying for it now. So I'm very protective of my kiddos when they're shooting, 
Walker's has a great lineup of electronic noise-canceling earmuffs and uh, earbuds as well. So whatever your preference is, they've got something for you. Protect it or lose it. You can find everything right there at walkersgameear.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, They also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and its customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off of Virginia Parkway in McKinney. You can't tell who might be stowed away Shivering there while the boxes sway Who might jump before the light of day You can't tell There's a night train Rolling by night train Rolling by That's the Mystic Arrows Night Train. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for being here today, as we are still visiting with the, uh, we'll just call him the H-Man, to protect his uh, identity from, well, potential crazy anti-hunting groups who would value the life of a aggressive stray dog over that of a human, or said human's property. <laughs> That's a sad world that we live in where we have to do that, but it, it's, it's the truth. So, and I don't blame him. Uh, but before we get into, uh, get back into that conversation, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader and big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I'd like to encourage you to join our ranks because nobody does more when it comes to putting their money where their mouth is than SCI. They're passionate about conservation, education, and protecting your rights as a gun owner and a hunter. For more info, head over to safariclub.org. Okay, uh, well, let's get back into our conversation here with the H-Man who recently lost mm, $30,000 worth of prized axis deer when a pack of wild dogs dug under the fence at the family ranch. 
what was it like? I don't know if you were the one that pulled the trigger on these dogs, but was were were you angry? Was it or was it like, man, I don't want to shoot it. It's a dog. Cause I think a lot of people they see wild dogs on their property and they're like, Oh, it's a dog. I don't want to shoot it. I don't that might yeah. change though if it's killed ten of my deer. Yeah. So at this point it was I guess you could say being a lifelong hunter, mm-hmm. uh been in, you know, if you've ran the woods since you were a kid you know, trying to get pigs or, or hunting different, different game. Uh, it, it's just, you can relate to that feeling when, when just the instinct kicks in and you're, you're hunting, uh, mm-hmm. your drilling's going. And so you're not really thinking of, at least I, I don't, of, um, you know, as the nervousness or anything like that. It's like, okay, at this point we have our target. We need to find it and eliminate it basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of anger at that point. Um, yeah. Sad. Yeah. This is a sad deal. I mean, honestly, it, the family's place. You know, been raising these deer. Some of them have names. Uh, easily, you know, easy to identify. And uh, this is just the absolute worst case scenario. To get to have a small high fence piece of property, and to have five wild dogs or somebody's hog dogs um, get in there. For four days, I mean, because we left on a, a Sunday afternoon and didn't get back out there until Friday. Yeah. So we're thinking yeah. they're there Sunday night or, you know, Monday. And just so they, for four days, you know, we're just in there uh, running the deer like crazy. I mean, there was tracks all over the place. Um, we have whitetail in there also, and we have black bugs. And we didn't lose any of the whitetail. We didn't sit, find any whitetail or, you know, all of our black bugs were accounted for. It was just the action. I wonder if that's something inherent in the axis where maybe it turned, wanted to fight or you said most of them were bucks, maybe the so white tail. Okay. Yeah. So we found where the bucks, some of them, okay. We lost three bucks that were going to be over 31 inches. So we had, we had three that were potentially going to be 32 to 34 inches, which is a nice buck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> really nice buck. And uh, around those guys, it was just mud, hoof prints, like the grass is completely worn down in like a, a 15 by 15 you know, circle, basically, um, where that bug you could just see was just fight. They fought and fought and fought. Um, I, I think that's it. And also, I don't know as far as the axis. I have heard that the the males don't have the cardiovascular that the, the females do. Mm. Um, the cardiovascular like, system um, they get tired easier. But it was our our big bucks, the ones that you think were strong enough to fight them off. Uh, now, granted, they're in velvet right now. Uh, they're yeah. growing back. And some of the bucks they killed didn't have any horns on them. Um, but, you know, the does that we found, we, so we have a couple ponds on the place. We're in the in the pond. Huh. Um, like, they chased them into the water. And it wasn't, it was three doe we found in the pond. Um, but other than that, I mean, it was all bucks. Yeah. yeah. And were any of them eaten, or were they just killing them? <laughs> So the last one we found, we got there, they had actually looked like they were eating it. And then a few of them, cause buzzard, you know, they killed their first one on like Monday. So some of them were actually already pretty ate up, you know, buzzards yeah. in there too. Uh, but no, they were definitely eating on them. And these dogs weren't, they weren't skin and bones. I mean, they, yeah, they were skinny, but they had some pretty solid weight to them. And you can look in the photos. Yeah. You can see bones, but, um, they aren't like just ragged. Yeah. So, yeah. And what would you say these dogs weighed? 
<clears throat> I want to say the big, yeah, anyway, I want to say the biggest one was probably 80 pounds, okay. 70 pounds, okay. uh, they, but they were all around 40 to 60. Mm-hmm. I want to so, say maybe a more. definitely bigger than a coyote. I mean, they're 40 pounds is a oh, big yeah. coyote. Yeah. Yeah, uh, bigger than a coyote. And there was a yeah. fifth one that y'all didn't either couldn't find or. Yeah, we wounded a fifth one, um, but we weren't able to find it. Uh-huh. And so yeah. when you start shooting, do these dogs run off or do they just kind of stand there? Like you said, they weren't afraid of you. They weren't afraid. No, they. Uh, Which is why they're worse than coyotes. And they're worse than coyotes, you know, because the coyotes yeah. sees you right away and they're going to, you know, they're gone. Yeah. The dog, no, it, it just, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say too much on that, but mm-hmm. how exactly how we, we, you know, how it was handled. Um, but they they definitely got the point. Um, you know, when we started hitting, when the you know, they did not act scared until they got hit. I'll yeah. say that and even with the guns going off, they still weren't really phased by it. Like even warning shots or anything like that. So I guess yeah. that brings up the question, like, which I think is why we I wanted to have the discussion and why I made that post initially was, if you see wild dogs on your place, do you shoot them? Like, they don't. They're not part of the ecosystem for the reasons we've already outlined. They're not inherently afraid of people. A lot of times they're bigger, more powerful, and destructive than a coyote. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a question that people don't want to answer. Right. I mean, because as hunters and, and dog lovers, uh, who wants to shoot a dog, right. Mm-hmm. But understanding right. what you're, what happened to you and, and people get attacked by them. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's definitely worth bringing the conversation to the table. You know, I, I hate to say it, but what well, I do and I don't, but for us, it's a yes, because, mm-hmm. It cannot be a lethal dog. It cannot want to actually bite and kill another animal, a deer, so to say. But it'll if it chases it. I mean, we're high fence. All it's got, you know, you chase these deer and it, and it circles and circles. They're going to run to the fence and they break their neck. And that's what actually how we've lost some of our other ones, not from dogs, but from coyote. Mm-hmm. Um, how we've lost some of our other ones. So it's it is. I mean, it's a as you know, legally, I don't know exactly where all that stands. Um, you have to actually see the dog doing something or just to the dogs on your place. Can you shoot it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Question. Yeah. Uh, the game warden explained it to me. And again, I wasn't going to shoot these dogs in my experience because yeah. I knew where they lived and they were pets. It was a pain in the ass for me. And I definitely mm-hmm. resented the, the owners. But that's not the that, in that case that wasn't the dog's fault, you know. It was just like, God, yeah, these morons. And I even set up. I had, dude, I had uh, leg holds, like traps going because I was trying to trap coyotes. Yeah. Every time I sat uh-huh. on that twenty acres, I saw a coyote, and I was like, I got to start trapping these things. And I told the lady, I was like, Listen, I really do have traps. Like, here's a picture yeah. of a coyote I caught. So uh-huh. It's like, I do. It will hurt your dog. Like, it's not going to be good. Yeah, it didn't really seem to deter. Mm-hmm. The only thing that worked was when they came and uh, wrote her a citation, but yeah, I wouldn't have shot those dogs. If I'm on a a ranch and you know, dogs don't have collars and it's a known problem. I'm not going to think twice. Yeah. you know, and for me, just having young kids also, uh, 
like I was, I, you know, said earlier, you see, you know, neighborhoods, different areas like that playgrounds where just wild dog comes up and tries to attack the kid uh, or stray or somebody's dog that got off a leash. I just don't, I don't fully trust the dog, yeah. any dog. Um, you know, that's kind of my stance on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's certainly a topic that can make people uncomfortable, but, uh, there's really no place for wild dogs. It's just, this is the bottom line. They're, uh, they don't belong. No, I don't. I, uh, was bear hunting in Alberta one time and, uh, they set me up close to, uh, an Indian reservation. And the outfitter was like, if you see wild dogs, please shoot them because they're worse than wolves for the reasons that we've outlined. Like they're not afraid of people. They come and they mess with the bait sites. The owners do not restrain them. They barely feed them. You know, they're, they're really wild dogs. So, yeah, you know, I won't say whether or not I saw one or not, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, they're a problem. And it's really just the negligence of people. Negligence of people. Yeah, and, and especially if, if they these dogs were raised to, you know, these dogs were raised to track, um, you know, to get to get uh, to get pigs and stuff like that. I've been on a hunt in Utah, uh, lion hunt, and uh, we had dogs. Um, and I mean, when they let these dogs out, and, and it's all public land up there, but I mean, each of their dogs has collars on. It, it has oh, yeah. trackers on. They're able to find the dog. It's, they're able to keep up with the dog and i know they have to do that you know in order to run dogs in order to run dogs on, on public land um but <clears throat> you know it's uh it's amazing what how good of hunters like dogs are yeah um yeah. we use them for everything duck hunting hog hunting uh it's just all these different things you know these hunting dogs are for yeah, yeah. yeah. well man i uh i hate that that happened to you guys and I don't know if there's a a happy resolution in store for you. It doesn't sound like there is since you can't find out whose dogs they are. No one will take responsibility for them unless maybe they were just a pack of wild dogs. Um, but dude, it's yeah. uh, something to think about. And as a hunting community, mm-hmm. you know, it's no different. Well, it is because they killed your livestock, but it's kind of in the same vein of all these wild horses that are destroying BLM land. And what do we do with them? Well, there's a really simple solution and it's the same people. So I saw last week, I don't know if you saw this, uh, the anti-hunters were celebrating. They were celebrating. So there was, I think it was in Colorado. They've decided to, there's, there's wild cattle, feral cattle, and they've decided to shoot them out of helicopters. And so animal, you know, uh, environmental groups, everyone is saying, yes, we got to protect this habitat for the native species let's get yeah. rid of these cows well in the same breath on the same property there's feral horses and they were like we don't know you can't shoot the horses it's like what is it why is it it's because it's a horse <laughs> <laughs> horse yeah. yeah i mean they're giant rats those mm. horses i mean they can they're pretty destructive on they're aggressive on too and they're aggressive yeah yeah i was on a horse yeah. on a on a mountain lion hunt in colorado and my horse got real nervous and I looked over and there was a wild stallion there and it was sizing up my, you know, seeing if, if he could get, uh, maybe get some, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but it made me uncomfortable, made the horse uncomfortable. And my, my I would, like, I would be, yeah, I'd be uncomfortable in that situation. Yeah. And, and <laughs> dude, the forest looked like crap. There's horse crap everywhere. You could see where it was over browse. Yeah. And, 
you know, it was overgrazed and who wants mm. to see that? I don't want to see that. Like you go to the, yeah. the forest because it's pristine and beautiful not to have domestic livestock destroying it, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, do you, let me know if there's any update, if you, if you ever do get a resolution to this situation and thanks for, thanks for the time today. We certainly appreciate it. Definitely, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for, uh, for what you do and, uh, you know, bringing stuff like this you know, to light and getting it out there a little bit. Um, not just this case, but you know, everything you do on uh, all your posts, uh, we appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you as well, man. Take care. All right. We'll do. Talk to you later. So there you have it. The uh, anonymous East Texas landowner who had his access herd wrecked by wild dogs. Uh, yeah. Tough conversation. But again, not part of the ecosystem, and uh, they need to be dealt with. So, and it's not like you can rehome these things. People are like, oh, well, you know, someone adopted these <laughs> these things. Would rather rip your jugular out than sit in your living room. Well, they might sit in your living room just eyeing your jugular. But anyway, uh, that segment of the show brought to you by my good friends over at Numa, geared for the outdoors. Here's the cool thing. The best hunting apparel I've ever worn, and I've worn quite a few brands, but Numa is the only one that offers a lifetime warranty on all of their hunting apparel. Ridiculous, right? Because if you're like me, you beat the crap out of that stuff. You can find their entire lineup at numaoutdoors.com. Coming up next, a very interesting guest, a former Navy SEAL, uh, skydiver, big game hunter, passionate bow hunter, and uh, Alaskan hunting guide. Trevor Thompson joins us on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Hey guys, Cable here for Armasite. If you're looking to light up the night, whether that's with thermal or night vision, then you need to head over to armorsight.com. That's where you can find all of the thermal and night vision monoculars, uh, thermal weapon sights, and of course, night vision nods. Yeah, those cool-looking helmets, the one that I have. Yeah, buddy. You can find them over at armorsight.com. They've got it all right there. And even better than that, they've got some new stuff coming down the pike, like the 640 contractor. I've got the 320, 640, even better. You can find it all at armorsite.com. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Wow. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. They also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. 
I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. There's the Dirty River Boys bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith, and we're about to sit down with a very interesting fellow in the form of Navy SEAL and Alaskan hunting guide Trevor Thompson. But before we do that, this segment is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms. You know, Mossberg might be known for their rifles and shotguns, but they also have a great everyday carry option with the MC2SC, which is a 9mm double stack pistol, slim, subcompact, offering uh, optic ready slides. And it's what I carry every day. You can find it at mossberg.com. Okay. Uh, well, let's bring him on now. Joining us from, I believe, Utah. It is my pleasure to welcome Black Rifle Coffee's Trevor Thompson to the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So um, just if you do like a quick Google search of your name. There's, there's another Trevor Thompson. He's like a, I guess, professional basketball player. I was like, that guy, he's like six, nine or like a giant human. I was like, I don't think that's the right one. <laughs> no. And funny enough, there actually is another Trevor Thompson who was a seal. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Where are you from? So originally I'm from Los Angeles. Um, I'm like an actual Californian. My, uh -huh. both my parents are from there too. Um, and my grandparents all lived there up until not that long ago. And they defected. Um, my dad's parents moved back to Spokane, which is where his family's from, uh, in Eastern Washington. And they're still up there. Actually, I'll be up there uh, next week for his hundredth birthday. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Yep. Awesome. Well, happy birthday to uh, dad. Yeah. So you did, um, you did three tours. As a mm -hmm. Navy SEAL, what what was your uh, like position? Like, what was your your function on your team? Um, the butt of all the jokes. No, so uh, <laughs> um, so the first team that I went to was SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team One, um, SDV Team One, and the specialty out there is kind of reconnaissance, and we drive mini subs. So um, if you do like a quick search of that. SEAL team name, uh, what you'll find is descriptions and pictures of these, you know, just over 20 foot, all wet on scuba um, submersibles. Uh, so we do stuff with those. And uh, I also got to go to Afghanistan um, in 2011 and 12. Okay, right on. So what was the what was the most effed up thing that you had to deal with? Well, the number one, you feel comfortable talking about. Um, but the most effed up situation you found yourself in while you were deployed and did your training help you deal with that situation? Yeah, absolutely. So the training that we go through often is um, skill dependent. They're trying to make sure that we can fall to our lowest level of competency and that that lowest level of competency is very high. So we had a situation where one of our boats had a mechanical failure um, while we were in the water column. And I had to safely get us up towards the surface. And 
there was a number of reasons that we really shouldn't have been on the surface um, from detection to that wasn't the profile uh, as well as it was going to be a really long ride back. And so for about two, two and a half hours, I was driving that thing uh, basically with my knees and with the ballast system of the boat to function as us not sinking. Mm. So the situation was relatively scary because the boat could sink away and then we were almost lost at sea. Um, we would have been picked up, but it would not have been a good place to get picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, um, I, you know, just going back to, I guess it was eight months or so ago when the, uh, Nord Stream pipeline blew up and everyone was like, wow, Putin blew his own reason. Like he just shot his own foot off. That yeah. was like, that was like the messaging that, that our government sent out. And then we find out recently that it was actually our military personnel that blew the thing up. And, um, and, and if you read into, and I'm going off of this, uh, sub stack piece from a Nobel, no a Pulitzer prize winning a journalist. And, uh, for some reason they didn't use special ops because of a technicality, like that, that would have had to inform someone and they would have been in liability. So my understanding was they just used Marines to do it. I don't know if you've paid any attention to that or if you were surprised to, to hear, you know, that the truth came out. Um, I only heard about that last night. And so I haven't really had any time to look at it. Uh -huh. um, so I, I really haven't had any time or have looked at it at all because <laughs> Putin is so far down the crazy rabbit hole that um, I really wasn't surprised if he had been the one responsible for blowing that up anyways. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's currently pouring tens of thousands of troops into Ukraine. Yeah. Not ever caring if they come back. So that guy, yeah. he he's on a totally different wavelength. So, you know, him shooting his own foot off. I wouldn't be surprised if he shot his own <laughs> foot off. That's what psychopaths do. Huh? Yeah. yeah, it is what crazy people do. Um. So, okay. As far as the, the scuba stuff though of like because apparently we set those charges a long time ago like months and months in advance um was that was that the type of stuff that you guys would be uh, in your you know on your missions like so underwater that's totally, detonations that's totally something that's in the wheelhouse for um all the seal teams so mm -hmm. we all get trained on how to do underwater demolition work uh the history of the seal teams is that we come from the, uh, the UDTs, underwater demolition teams, and the NCDUs, the Naval Combat Demolition Units. And so we're all trained in how to do that. Um, the opportunities to do that are not just few and far between. I mean, we're talking like count them on your hand type of mm -hmm. times that that's happened since Vietnam. It's just not a common occurrence because that's a really, really, really high impact action, you know? So say you, you take a, an explosive and you blow the back of a frigate or, you know, like in Panama, when they blew up Noriega's boat, like that's, that's media worthy. And so to mm -hmm. do something like that takes a lot of uh, forethought. And like you were just saying, like that takes a lot of higher ups saying, yeah, we're going to take responsibility for the possibility of this going wrong right. because you know, that's really what they're doing is they're taking responsibility. They're putting their name on that sheet of paper that, oh, this could go south. 
they don't care mm-hmm. if it goes right. I mean, they want it to go right. But I think most of those guys, most of those men and women, you know, in Congress or the Senate, they only really care if it goes wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what do you, uh, what do you actually do these days? So these days, um, I've been working for Black Rifle for six, six and a half years, mm-hmm. doing photography, creative work. Uh, before I joined the Navy, I was at art school for a year. So I have a, a bit of a background there. Um, and then the last five and a half, about five and a half years, I've been in Alaska learning too. And now I do guide uh, with Cole Kramer. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And, but you're based out of Salt Lake city. Yep. Okay. Black rifle headquarters. Um, do you get to do a lot of skiing? I do a ton of skiing. Um, actually I was just up this morning. We weren't skiing. We were shoveling. Uh, I've done about 45, almost 50 days of skiing this season. So I, I ski a little bit, Uh uh, but we were up shoveling, looking for some equipment that we lost yesterday because regardless of how good you are in the backcountry, if you're out a lot, there's always a chance something could happen. And we were in a low danger area and it was dark and we got hit by a slide. So two of us got caught in a slide. My partner got carried about 60 plus meters down the um, couloir and he lost his skis. I lost a ski. He lost his poles. So we went up with a metal detector today to go look for him. (laughs) Recovery successful. Uh, semi-successful. I found my ski, he found his poles and his skis are MIA until probably the spring because we're about to get another 30 inches of snow. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, well, there's worse things you could be doing, I guess. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting caught in a, in a, you know, mini avalanche doesn't sound that appealing, but, uh, skiing, it was a little scary. 50 days a year does, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping for 70 or 80. So we'll see what happens. We're taking the kids to Durango for spring break, um, but I don't know how old you are. I'm 41. My wife tore her ACL skiing last year, so this would be like basically a full year. She did this, had the surgery. She's yeah. real scared about it, but you know, I, I never really thought about those things until that happened to her, and it's like, eh, I mean, I she know. could wear a brace. You know, they do help. Um, yeah. in I'm the not case worried that... about her. I'm worried about me. I'm worried about <laughs> me, man. <laughs> I don't, don't have screw a. Up. Don't yeah. crash. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so talk about the the guiding thing. So you, you work for Black Rifle. Yep. How did you say, hey, guys, I'm going to check out and go to Alaska and and guide? And I don't know what you're guiding for, but uh, I'd love to hear more about that. It's fascinating. Yeah. So um, when I got hired by Evan at Black Rifle, um, he knew that I do, I base jump and I skydive and I I climb and I'm, I travel a lot. And so, um, I've been a remote employee since well before the pandemic stuff and, you know, people became remote employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing that, uh, for a while. So they don't particularly mind that I take a week or two off to go do stuff, uh, often because most of the people that I'm doing that with, I bring product with me and I I've, I've been taking pictures and, you know, it's that like cross pollination with brands. Right. Um, I met Cole at John Barklow, who is the big game manager at Sitka. Um, I met Cole at his 50th birthday. Okay. And Cole's only like two years older than me, three years older than me. And John's like, hey, man, I think you'd really get along with this guy. And I mean, it was birthday and we were at John's house and so everybody was blitzed. Uh, 
And when, <laughs> when Cole offers, Oh yeah, you should come on up. I'm like, okay, cool. We were hammered drunk, dude. Like, do you really mean it? And so uh, the next day we talked it over and he invited me up on a mountain goat hunt to come pack. Mm-hmm. And um, I immediately loved it. It's hard work. It's, it's back like being a new guy in the SEAL teams. Like all you got to do is put your head down, not screw up. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know? And then eventually you start learning the process of how to age and sex animals and how to actually deal with clients. And now that's where I'm at as an assistant guide. Um, and we guide for coastal brown bears, mountain goats, and blacktail deer. Okay. Yeah. What, what would you say is the biggest hang up for, and, and it probably doesn't happen as much in, in Alaska because of the price tag of some of these hunts. Yeah. But you know, you talk to uh, an elk guide in New Mexico and they're yeah. be like, well, this 350 pound dude showed up and thought he was going to kill an elk with his bow in the back country. What is the, yeah. what is the most difficult thing that you have to, and like you said, dealing with clients is a big part of that. Um, it's a huge part. What, what do you see is like when, when a hunter shows up and you, you know, you're sizing them up <laughs> form, you're forming your pre-existing oh, yeah. idea of how this hunt's going to go. What, what do you think is the biggest issue you face, uh, with the actual clients themselves? Um, ego. Uh-huh. So usually when people won't keep their mouth shut, they, those tend to be the, the problem children. Um, if somebody's constantly talking about, you know, how much they hunt and how good they are and this shot they've taken and that, um, often to me, that tells me that you're actually not that confident and, um, in what you do. And you might be able to pay for a lot of hunts. You might go on a lot of hunts, but you might not necessarily actually be able to perform the action really well. And so I think a lot of guides would mirror that, uh, language that when somebody's very talkative and, uh, they brag, then often you run into them in the field and they either get the shakes or they get the gozies. Like they need to shoot right now. They have no patience. Um, they make average to poor shots, uh, when they shouldn't. And, you know, as a guide, that's, that's kind of our responsibility to be the person that's standing next to them or kneeling or laying and talk to them calmly and get them relaxed and get them in a spot where regardless of if they're wound up or shaking, or they're going to make a poor shot, give them the best opportunity for success. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But those are the, those are usually the key indicators. Like if somebody's telling me like, Oh yeah, man, you know, I've, I've shot 30, 200 inch whitetail. I'm like, man, this is going to be lots of fun. <laughs> um, I went to Sonora and hunted mule deer with my, my buddy. Um, and he guides down on Tiburon Island and they have this oh yeah incredible genetics of uh desert bighorn sheep there. Yep. And kind of like what you're saying. So he was guiding this guy. And, um, he was bragging about all the shots he made and the hunts he goes on. And they're looking at it like a, uh, mid one eighties Ram, which that's a good Ram. Yeah. Known for. Yeah. And then there was like, I think there was five Rams he said. And then there, so there was a one eighty, and then there was like a high one sixties and then just some younger ones. Yeah. And like, he's telling him, okay, are you on them? Are you on them? And then they kind of went behind a rock and he said, okay, just wait a second. You know, they'll come back out. Well, they come back out and they start walking away and he shoots the 160 ram in the ass after he paid, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for this hunt. Perfect. And 
Arturo was like, dude, what? you shot the wrong one. He goes, they were getting away. I just wanted to shoot it. And he's like, you paid all this money to shoot a world-class rim. And there he was. And we could have got back on him. And anyway, yeah. the guy gets all worked up. And now they've got to go straight up the mountain, track this wounded uh, ram that he shot. And, fi- and he's like physically beat at this point when they finally get yeah. to where they can shoot again. And my buddy's like, hey, do you, do you see the ram? Do you see him? Make sure you shoot the right one. And he just looks at Arturo and he goes, man, can you just shoot him for me? <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you've had that happen, but that was one. That was um, like- no, but I know Cole has a story about telling somebody not to shoot, not to shoot, like don't shoot. And the guy was losing his gored at Cole and uh, Cole literally handed him his rifle. He's like, if you want to kill that bear, you kill that bear. Like, go ahead. I'm telling you not to kill it, but go ahead. Like it was a legal animal. Like he could do it. The guy was just super impatient and really wanted to shoot a bear and was like losing his damn mind. And so Cole's like, go ahead, feel free. Shoot it. (laughs) And And, uh, he shot at it. Uh, Apparently he missed. Cole's like, well, that worked out great. Yeah. Do the guys (laughs) that show up in Alaska typically come and I mean, at least physically fit for the, for the demands of that. They kind come of fit enough. Um, the reality is unless you guide up there or hunt up there a lot, understanding the combination of weather and terrain that Alaska mm. offers and what that physically demands is very difficult uh, to kind of prepare for mm. unless you live there or unless you live somewhere like I do, like in, um, you know, way up in the mountains. It's, it's difficult to tell somebody like, oh, you know, just do a bunch of stair steps, man. Uh, right. In the, in the real grand scheme, as long as they are relatively fit and they're not going to get out of breath, you know, running after an animal for a mile or two, not running, but, you know, really hoofing it after an animal for a mile yeah. or two. That's fine because we're there to be the, you know, the strong back. Yeah. Yeah. So I've toted out some whole deer. Well, Trevor, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation. I want to take a quick break, come back and find out what makes you tick, you know, when you're hunting for yourself and uh, maybe a couple bucket list species that you'd like to pursue. Uh, That segment brought to you by Big and J. You know, deer season has come and gone, but there are always hogs that need lead poisoning. And to help draw them in, they've got the Big and J Hogs Hammer It. It's a long-range liquid attractant. I think it retails for $10.99 a bottle. It's a big bottle, too. I don't know how many ounces, but it's big. And uh, you can find Hogs Hammer it at BigandJ.com. Or I think Tractor Supply has it as well. Okay, let's take that break. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Cable Smith, welcome in everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. We've still got Black Rifle Coffees and uh, former Navy SEAL Trevor Thompson here with us. We'll get back into that conversation in just a sec. This segment, though, is brought to you by Vortex Optics. What would you do with a $5,500 optics and gear shopping spree? New binos, spotting scope, rangefinder maybe a red dot for turkey season, you could get all that and more, plus $500 to shop at Vortex's online apparel store. All you need to do is sign up for their newsletter, and you can do that by going to join.vtxnation.com. That's join.vtxnation.com. Right now through March. $5,500 sweepstakes. One winner. Check it out. Okay, with that being said, uh, thanks for sticking around, Trevor. What species do you like to hunt for yourself when you're not guiding? Oh, everything. Um, elk, pronghorn, mule deer. Yeah, uh, all the high country stuff. I love it. Do you, you, know, you put in all over the West or? Not all over. Um, as opposed to having a lot of tags, I like to have longer hunts. So, mm -hmm. Like I hunted eight, nine days in a row for Roosevelt elk in Oregon last year. I hunted a week out here for elk, um, in Utah. Um, like that, like that's more the style of stuff that I like to do. I like to do slightly extended longer hunts because mm -hmm. it's fun and because I'm bow hunting and because recently I've been hunting a lot with a longbow. So opportunities mm -hmm. are, uh, slim, right? take a little bit more time and planning oh yeah yeah we did my buddy and i did uh, we drove from texas to wyoming and hunted the third week of september uh, yeah. over the counter tag and um that was a grind i didn't get one he got one uh but you know packing his out was a real bitch not gonna lie it can be yeah and um uh, it was a, it took a day and a half away from the hunt but i wouldn't you know i mean i'm not bitching about it like and when you got back to the to the wall tent, it was like, man, that sucked, but dang, that was worth it. You know, I feel good about yeah. what we accomplished here. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, he's helped me pack out an oak before too, so it was my time to help. It's your pay turn. It back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the uh, you know the physical, I would say on a nine day hunt, the physical challenges to me aren't as significant or. Uh, they don't weigh on me as much as the mental challenge of like, yeah, like you, maybe you don't see or hear an elk for a couple of days or, you know, bad weather comes in, which you deal with a lot in Alaska. 
And I oh, yeah. haven't ever been sacked in in a tent for like four or five days or a week or whatever. I that, have that mentally, <laughs> and I'll compare it to like an all day sit in a tree stand for whitetail. Yeah. That stuff sucks. I don't like it. You know, like no, it's I, terrible. Me, I'll do it because they're because of the end game. Like you got to put in the time, but it's not fun. No, no, it's not fun. And like uh, like guiding, I've had situations where I've gone up to go scout for animals for clients and been socked in in a tent mm. just hanging out and i know that they're 20 miles away in town hanging out doing whatever they're doing and i'm <laughs> i'm in a two-man tent with the other assistant guy just getting pissed on mm-hmm. like oh this is fun yeah. no animals today probably no cell service it's like no can't even get uh, on the internet nope that's around no. usually Maybe we just carry uh in reaches around and but that's yeah. just to communicate back with you know right yeah back with cole or whoever so we we bring books and stuff up or listen to audiobooks. Uh-huh. Okay. Those will run out fast though. No, yeah, no doubt. You also spend a lot of time jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. They're not that nice. <laughs> um yeah, so the last two and a half years that I was in the Navy, I was on the Navy parachute team. And what that is is it's a demonstration and kind of goodwill effort. Uh, mm-hmm. on the part of the Navy, similar to what the Golden Knights do. And so we jump into major league baseball games, NFL games, uh, all-star games, Formula One races, a ton of air shows, um, and everything as small as I've jumped into YMCA, like kids camps. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and you get a ton of skydives. So over the course of that time. And then before, and since I've been jumping a lot still, um, I have about 6,500 skydives. Good Lord. Wow. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite? What was your favorite caliber in the military? And then what is your favorite for hunting? Oh, okay. So and you said you hunt with a longbow now, so you might not even be hunting much with a rifle these days, but no, but I have, you know, I mean, I'm an adult. I have 10 rifles. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um let's see in the military i mean okay it's super ubiquitous but you know the the 556 five, round is great because not only did it go in my m4 but i i did like carrying the mark 46 around which is a a short light automatic weapon mm-hmm. so it's fun to have a machine gun so yeah. i'd have to say that as you know the favorite round that I got to use. Um, and then hunting, how about hunting? What big, uh, big game. So just like, uh, let's just say okay. elk and deer. Yeah. So big game. Um, it's a barrel burner, but a 28 nozzler is great. Um, it's got a good trajectory. seems to hit hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I do like how those perform. And then, uh, for dangerous game, or like bears, I use a three seven five H and H. Okay, yeah. I I don't I have a three seventy five Ruger. That's what I shot my yeah. uh, K Buffalo with. Is that mm-hmm. what is that what most guys take to Alaska for a brown bear hunt? It's kind of a, our minimum. Uh, we tell them three seven five and up. So you know, dudes show up with like a four sixteen Rigby and four five eight lot, um, and everywhere in between that three thirty eight Lapua, three seven five Ruger. You know, so everywhere between like three, seven, five, H and H and up is sort of like the smart move for any dangerous game. Um, for the same reasons, I'm sure you were told that's the round you need to shoot that, uh, Cape Buffalo with. Mm. 
They're like, it well, needs to die. Like, legally, the minimum in South Africa anyway is 375 H and H. Like you can't exactly. shoot one with less than that. Yeah. And the reason being like, that's, that's a small round and you know, the smallest like solids you're going to shoot out of those are like 270 grains. And that's, yeah. that's still a big damn bullet. Oh yeah. I think I was shooting yeah. 300 grain Hornady uh-huh. dangerous game bullets. Yeah. And, um, that which is what shot. I shoot. Okay. Yeah. I still shot the damn thing four times. The first one double lunged him and he just took off running. And my pH was like, as long as he doesn't go in and fix stuff, we're going to run after him and keep shooting. Yeah. Until he's More holes. dead or until you run out of bullets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the uh, thing is, you know, Cole told me very early when I started working with him and for him, he's like, nothing can be too dead. Right. Right. Keep Which shooting why, it until it stops moving. Yeah. Which <laughs> I, and, and I'll extrapolate that to Texas deer hunting. Some people are like, why do you deer hunt with the 300 wind mag? Like, <laughs> well, I, I like the deer to be really dead. You know? Super dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same uh, thing. Like all my arrows are over 600 grains, like in my compound bow or my long bow. Like I use big, heavy arrows. I like big, heavy bullets. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It kills. It kills. Yeah. Um, so what is on your bucket list to number one? Is there something that you want to guide that you haven't guided? And then what do you want to take yourself? That's what's at the top of your list. Yeah. Money's, so, money's no object. So I definitely want to guide, uh, for a hard sheep hunt. I'd really, I think it would be really cool to go up in the Northwest territory and work for one of those outfits and guide for stone sheep. Um, it'd be really, really cool. And then at the top of my list is like two things. One's a dangerous game animal. And then the other one is I would, I really would like to go hunt blue sheep in Nepal. Okay. Uh, because of the terrain. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hunting an animal over 18,000 feet. That's, yeah. that's, that's wild. Like that's, that's wild, wild. Um, and then the other one is I really, really, I know it's like, I know it's going to be hard, but I, I really want to hunt a leopard with a longbow hmm. and i don't necessarily want to do it over bait I, there's got to be a way around yeah that. you just decreased your odds significantly unless you I know well, you could shoot it out of a tree with if you ran dogs yeah and like i don't necessarily but if you want to spot either. and stalk a leopard with a longbow that would yeah. be a uh a very Feet. elite yeah uh you know you'd be an elite company i don't i don't know anyone that's done it yeah Yeah, and i I think some of that comes down to they're super super dangerous like they're at the top of the list of dangerous you know next to cape buffalo Mm -hmm. and um it's very hard to find them you know that's why they have to make five to ten bait stations when they when they hunt those things Uh, i have friends that go over and guide and and photograph all that kind of stuff and Mm. i just think it's a really cool animal and it would be really 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 cool to do that to get it done um We'll see, you know, I, I'm going to try and give that sort of thing a shot here in the States because I want a solo spot and stock a mountain lion with the bow, okay. which is doable because we have snow, you know, so yeah. you can track them. Yeah. hundred percent. Still very difficult though, but you do, but oh, there yeah. are got every year, you know, maybe not with a bow, but guys track mountain lions. Yeah. Uh, you guys don't have do to it. have a dog if you're willing to, to huff it, um, follow the tracks. Uh, that's interesting though, because leopard is number one on my list as well. Uh, not with a long bow, spot and stock. I just want <laughs> to hunt one. Um, it really comes down to price for me. Like, where can I find my pH? Will say the worst leopard hunt you go on is the one you have to do twice. So yeah, 
go with someone that's a reputable outfitter. It sounds like you might be doing yours more than more than once with the, with the way you want to do it. <laughs> that might happen. Yeah, but uh, no, um, I'm indifferent to whether bait or dogs. I think dogs would be more exciting for me. I like hunting mountain lions with dogs. It'd be, a lot, it'd be way more exciting, I'm sure, than just yeah. hanging over a bait pile. Hoping that he comes in. It's like yeah. deer hunting uh, leopards in Texas. Like, we, you know, you sit and wait at a feeder. And, yeah. You know, uh, I'm not knocking it. I would certainly do it, but chasing the dogs through the jungle. be more fun. Yeah. Yeah, it would be, yeah, be a lot better, I think. But yeah, but still the price tag, uh, I priced them at the DSC show. It was like $42,000 for the last two that he sold. And that was in, I think that one, those two were in Namibia. Yeah. But, and, and like, I think they run the kind of spectrum between 20 and 40 is sort of like, if you're going to a reputable place, mm-hmm. um, any, which it's the same with brown bears, right? Like we make a joke, like there are cheaper hunts, you know, I'm going to People, Russia for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to out with Putin for my last People are like, oh yeah, you know, why, why is this brown bear hunt 32 grand, 33 grand? It's like, well, I mean, you can pay half the price, get, you know, the hunt and not the animal. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you can get half the hunt. That's fine. You just the, won't shoot the, anything. Yeah. You'll have to come back. There's the hunt. You have to yeah. twice again. Uh-huh. Yep. Have you been to Africa before? Nope. I mean, I flew through, uh, Africa, but I haven't actually been there to go hunt or guide. Okay. What else would you like? What else would be appealing? to hunt there oh everything damn i mean i don't go you're gonna get the bug you're i'm about to go on my sixth trip here in may yeah that's uh, yeah i mean i would hunt i don't care everything from diker on up to giraffes like whatever everything's out there right uh uh-huh so i i have not i've I've shot a common diker but we're gonna do a blue diker hunt this time cool and you can just sit over they have like a, a symbiotic relationship with the monkeys the monkeys drop the fruits the dikers kind of follow them around and they hang oh, okay. out thickly you know thick vegetative uh, areas more like junk, dense jungle yeah and uh you sit there and you you kind of wait they put up a water trough in the in you know areas where they found these uh vervet monkeys and the dikers and and then you just sit there and wait and or you can hunt them with dogs and you sit yeah. there with a shotgun and you just wait for them to run by and it's like so, <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do yeah <laughs> between the two anyway um do you have you hunted things with dogs before um i've been around bear hunts with dogs and uh what else lynx hunts uh-huh. with dogs and where did where were the lynx hunts uh it's all british columbia okay yeah that's cool i uh i did a week uh on a trap line in bc and we caught three lynx a wolf a wolverine fisher that's a cool. pine pine martins coyotes but i really yeah. wanted number one the wolf and number yeah. two i wanted a lynx and the wolverine yeah. was just a bonus because they're like we don't catch a lot of these but there's a chance yeah so they were pretty stoked that we got a wolverine those things uh, are terrifying yeah oh yeah i had i had one chance to shoot one and um it was in british columbia and so i had my bow out and i was just shooting and it was out by camp and the outfitter came over and he's like come with me right now. I'm like, okay. So we go hauling ass out there. He goes, there's a Wolverine getting into the beaver dam. It was like ran over there and got in there and we got over the top of this thing. And for 20 minutes, we're trying to get a shot on this Wolverine. Uh-huh. And it was just screaming like a demon. It's, it was terrifying. Like this, I'm like, <laughs> I, I hope this thing doesn't show up. Cause this is going to tear us up. Uh, oh, yeah. but it was 
flipping out for like 20 or 30 minutes and then it shut up when we couldn't find it. So we gave up on that. That was like my only opportunity so far to get close to a Wolverine. I will say they're tough bastards because, um, and I've said this on the air before, but the wolf was still alive when we caught yeah. it. I shot it with the 22. It fell over dead. Yeah. The Wolverine. I mean, I didn't get close to the wolf. I'm like 20 yards away, you know? Yeah. Uh, the Wolverine, I was like three feet away. I just stuck the muzzle basically right up to it, shot it. A couple minutes later, I'm like, that thing's still alive and real alive. So shoot it again. Shot, I had to shoot it three times. I was going to shoot it a fourth. The guy was like, you're putting too many holes in the pelt. Stop shooting it. I'm like, it's not dead. They will yeah. die. So, yeah. Yeah. I've been told, uh, I was told a joke by a grizzly bear guide up in uh, British Columbia. And he goes, yeah, you know what Wolverines are? What they are is they're grizzly bears that screwed up in a previous life and they got put in a tiny little body. That's why they're, <laughs> that's why they're pissed off all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. That's a good comparison. Have you had any run-ins with bears that kind of, uh, made the, uh, the hair on your neck stand up? Nothing too bad. Um, and granted, like I've hunted, I've shot like a half dozen black bears myself and mm -hmm. I've been on a bunch of brown bear hunts now and you get, once you understand the animals and once you understand their behavior and how to interact with them, um, I think that you get less afraid of them and more aware of what they're potentially able to do to you. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's less like, oh, shit, I don't know what it's going to do fear. It's more like if this thing does get a hold of me, I'm dead. Like it's right. just going to kill me. Um, we've had a couple bears bluff us. Um, I've had a couple bluff bluff at me. I've had to like shoe bears off before. Nothing too bad though. Nothing too scary. Um, it'll happen at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Cole's shot a bear that charged him, killed her. Mm -hmm. um, but apparently that bear was a problem bear and had already um, tried to jack with some other hikers and some other stuff. So uh, fishing game was not surprised when he said where he shot that sow. Mm -hmm. um, and there was some like two-year-old cubs with her. So, I mean, they're, they're full-grown animals right. at that point. Um, and they're like, no, no, we're, we're pretty sure it's the same bear. Thanks for killing her. You know, right. somebody was going to have to do it. What do you think? And I don't know how much you pay attention to politics, but uh, it seems to me like our current administration is willing to weaponize the ATF because they don't yeah. have the votes in Congress, right? Yeah. The Senate, unless they did away with the filibuster, they're not going to just be able to ban ARs, which is, yeah. I'm, I'm, there's four or five of them in the safe right behind me, right? Yeah. Um, states like New Mexico, though, they're, and I love New Mexico. It's my, it's the, my neighbor here in Texas. I've spent many weeks elk hunting, grouse hunting, fly fishing, New Mexico. Uh, they've got a bill out right now, HB 101, where they're trying to mm -hmm. ban not only the sell the sale of uh, ARs and any gun that uh, I think it's a anything that holds over ten rounds, whether that's a rifle, shotgun, or pistol, but they're trying to make it to where if you are in possession of one, meaning you bought the gun legally fifteen years ago, it sits in your gun safe. Now you're a felon, and that would go into effect in July of 2023 if the bill passes. It's bonkers. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of that is that's the end goal that all these left-leaning politicians want yeah. or policy and actors and makers. That's what they want. And control. I don't know. I don't know why they want it. Oh, besides control, you know, yeah. they want a passive populace that they can do what they want to um, exactly like what happened in Canada or Australia. 
China, name the country that you are not allowed to own your own firearm and keep it in your house. Mm-hmm. That that's the end state that they want. Um, thankfully, there are states like Florida or I mean Montana recently uh, reaffirmed the fact that they will not follow any federal law regarding firearms that does not also comply with their own. Mm-hmm. So, at least there are other states that are pushing back because that will lead states like New Mexico or wherever that are trying to do that sort of thing to, uh, to either ratchet back or slow their roll. I, I really hope, I mean, mm-hmm. that's the best you can hope, right? Cause at the end of the day, if it's being voted on, then it's in the hands of a whole bunch of idiots. Right. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, I think people like, and you mentioned Canada and Australia specifically, like there's an existing blueprint. Yeah. Here it is. Why don't why why don't we pay attention to it? And then it's so funny because while they're trying to take our ARs away, they're trying to arm Ukrainian citizens with those oh, same yeah. guns. Like, yeah, um, we we could you could just let us keep ours. Oh wait, but it's you that we're afraid of. You know, like yeah, and they're afraid of the citizenry, and they should be. That's how it's supposed to function, right? Mm-hmm. They're not supposed to think they have the ability to abuse their positions. And that's exactly what's going on with things like the ATF being weaponized or used as a almost military force mm-hmm. with them really doubling down on uh, the NFA. Like they just don't, they don't seem to care about the ramifications of it. Uh, long-term, they just want the control is that's what I see. Mm-hmm. No, I yeah. agree hundred percent. I had on uh, representative Clyde, Andrew Clyde last week. And, you know, he, he had a pistol brace right there. And he, he's like, pistol brace here, legal, like right here on my wrist, put it up on my shoulder. Illegal, legal, illegal. How stupid is that? Ridiculous. You know? yeah. yeah. Makes no sense, <laughs> but that's what we're up against. So they'll just redefine the terms, you know, and uh, it's the same piece of equipment, but if we redefine it as this, we can circumvent the second amendment and make it illegal. Precisely. Mm-hmm. And thankfully the ATF, <laughs> they don't make laws, you know, they're not lawmakers. Mm-hmm. So at this point it's a rule. And based on how the whole system works, it still has to go through a whole bunch of other shit for it to become a law. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, he was pretty optimistic that uh, legally, they're going to with the pistol brace thing anyway. They're 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 going to have too many loopholes to overcome. So, and it's it's terrifying for the ETF. You know, think think of uh, as an example New Jersey when they came out with their thirty round mag ban, mm-hmm. and they said you have to turn them in. Um, do you remember that they then didn't get necessarily anything turned in? They got like right. two magazines turned in or something, and um, and it, essentially they backpedaled because the cops probably realized oh i'm not gonna go into homeboy's house right all right like are, are you guys crazy yeah you know it's, it's like oh we're gonna make ars illegal okay now we have to go confiscate them from people that already want to own an ar they mm-hmm. probably have two or three yeah, yeah that's a great that's a great idea yeah yeah it would be a terrifying it would be an s show for sure yeah and you know uh texans are like yeah come and take them yeah exactly (laughs) see how that goes for me you have that and then you have states like 
Utah or Montana or Idaho, where, I mean, the citizenry are basically like, ah, give it a go. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Well, man, um, first of all, thanks for your service. Certainly appreciate that. Thanks Uh, for paying taxes. It was fun. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much for the time. Do you want to give us your, your website and your social media stuff so folks can follow along and uh, whether you're jumping out of an airplane or, or guiding in Alaska. Yeah. uh, I mean, the easiest place and the most common place that I'm uploading anything is just my Instagram. It's just my name. So trevor.p.thompson. That's the, that's the simplest spot to go. Right on, man. Well, thanks again. Certainly appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Have a great rest of the uh, skiing season. Don't get caught in another avalanche. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Take care. Thank you. So there you have it. Navy SEAL and Black Rifle Coffee's uh, Alaskan hunting guide, uh, skydiver, just a real adventurer, Trevor Thompson. Uh, That segment of the show was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit and our friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Uh, Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Trevor as well as our other guest, uh, the H man, <laughs> um, appreciate him jumping on and sharing his story of the wild dogs decimating his axis herd. Ugh, terrible stuff. Uh, and thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Thanks to you guys and gals for tuning in until next time. I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors.